Hello, folks, and welcome to our very first uh, podcast Bible study. We are doing this uh, because it's just been kind of a challenge for a lot of you to get to the church in the middle of the week. And so uh, before I get started, I want to make a, just a couple of uh, comments about how this is going to work. Um, you know, the way I've been doing this when I've done these in person is, you know, I, I do my teaching I kind of go over the points I wanted to, to to hit each week, explain what I think the really difficult passages were, and, and give you some aids to interpreting those, uh, and then I open it up for questions. And so before I even go in, you know, this week obviously being the first time we're doing it this way, um, there there's no questions uh, that have been sent in for me to answer. But as we go forward, um, if you have questions that you would like me to answer in this, you can email those to me. My email address is forest.divini at asburycc.org. Uh, you can find that on the website. You can also just post questions when we share the link to this podcast on the Facebook page. You can just put questions in the comments if you want, um, if, if that's easier for you. But if you have questions you would like me to answer, please send those in. I want to make sure that we answer as many of those questions as possible. And the the way that we'll... we'll do that going forward is just, you know, I don't think we're going to get too many for me to answer each time, um, but sometimes I'll incorporate those into the main lesson plan. Sometimes I'll do them afterwards. And you are welcome to ask questions. You don't have to ask ones that are only about the passages that we have read this week. You can ask questions about stuff we read back in January. You can ask questions about what we're going to read in December. You can just add, if you've got like a burning question, you have always wanted to have answered about the Bible, you can ask that, even if it's not related at all to what we're reading. I'm happy to, to answer that. That's part of what I'm doing here, is uh, trying to give you as much help as possible as you read through the Bible in a year. I want to be sure that you are getting uh, all the resources you need to make this accessible and easy for you. Uh, so that's what we're doing here. Uh, and, and on a related note, right now, uh, you're listening to this, you're probably streaming it off the website, through the Facebook page, something like that. Um, before too much longer, we should have this up on iTunes and maybe even Spotify, and that way you can download it and listen to it on the go. Uh, it's not too complicated for us to get that set up. It's just a matter of actually getting it done. Uh, so hopefully before long, you'll be able to actually just download it. Then you can listen to it on your commute to work. Uh, you can listen to it while you're, you know, sitting in line in the car waiting to pick up your kids from school, however you want to do that, uh, that ought to help you out quite a bit. So um, what we're going to do this week, you've just started reading uh, 1 Samuel, uh, along with the Gospel of John and some other stuff. But, you know, if, you, um, if you're listening to this, by the way, and you have fallen behind in your Bible readings, or if you haven't even started uh, and, and since this is on the internet, maybe you're listening to this and you haven't even really been a member of our church, and this is the first you're hearing of all this. Uh, for one thing, you can always pick up a copy of the One Year Bible and just dive right in. Start on today's date and get to reading. You don't have to even buy a physical copy of the Bible. We uh, send out the weekly Bible readings through the church newsletter every week. You can also just find them online on the One Year Bible. It just do a quick search for the One Year Bible. And the first website that pops up will have them all. Um, but don't, don't like try and start 
back at the beginning and catch up. Don't try and start wherever you left off and catch up. Just cut your losses and dive in with us. Uh, we're in First Samuel now. That's going to be a lot easier. So what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to give you an overview of of mostly First Samuel, but also a bit of Second Samuel. And then next week, I'm going to dive into some more specific stories, uh, as well as answering any questions that have been sent in. Now, we have entered into uh, a, a portion of the Bible, starting with First Samuel and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. Um, that this is probably my favorite chunk of the Old Testament. I can sit down and read these six books uh, like a novel, because it's just, to me it's just so interesting. Uh, and, and it's so much storytelling going on. You're not getting a ton of like lists of things. Um, they're, they're relatively easy reading stories, but um, they take you from the progression of the beginning of the monarchy in First and Second Samuel all the way up to um, the exile to Babylon. So you're getting um, Israel's history as a nation in these six books. And uh, in First and Second Samuel, you're really just reading the beginning story, and then Kings gives you sort of the second half of it. And First and Second Chronicles is actually mostly the same stories that have already been covered, but told from a different point of view. The parts that we're reading right now, the beginning of the monarchy up through the reign of King Solomon, these are the stories of Israel's golden age. This is when everything was right. This is when the people were mostly united. Um, but, but throughout these stories, the people are mostly faithful to their covenant with God. And things are okay. They won't really take a turn for the worse until after the death of King Solomon. So we are getting into this period of Israel's history that by Jesus' day and age is, is heavily romanticized and idealized. Um, so these stories are really fascinating. Um, so let's, let's just dive right in. So first off, first and second Samuel, there are two books in our Bibles. In the original Hebrew text, it's originally just one book. Now, I don't know why people saw fit to divide it into two. Um, I think it probably could have just stayed one book and no one would have known. But uh, it, anyway, it's two books in ours, but it was originally one. And uh, Samuel's story is actually just confined to First Samuel. And this book of Second Samuel is focused very heavily on David. So in First Samuel, you get Samuel, you get Saul, and you get the beginnings of David's story. Second Samuel will continue David's story, and David will kind of continue on into First Kings. And there are uh, there are two sources that have that have been kind of blended together to make this book. Um, there's an early source and a late source. Now, confusingly, the book begins with the late source. Um, the late source is really focused on interpreting the life of the prophet Samuel. And prophet's maybe not the best word for him, because in reality, Samuel is the last judge of Israel. So in the book of Judges, you'll remember that 
God raises up these people called judges to lead his people. And these are not like courtroom judges. They are like tribal leaders. So they have authority, they have power, but there's not like an official governing structure set up around them. Um, They're raised up by God. Samuel is the last of the judges, arguably the greatest and most effective of them. And he is also a prophet, uh, which means in addition to his political leadership, he has a great deal of religious authority. So that's what the late source is focused on, interpreting the life of Samuel. It's it's not, it's compiled, so it's a, it's not written by one person. It's It's taking multiple written sources and compiling them together. And it happens, that happens sometime between 750 and 650 BC, which is quite a long time, several centuries after the stories take place. Uh, so it's being compiled during the latter days of the monarchy, where by this time, the kingdom has split into two, a northern kingdom of Israel, a southern kingdom of Judah. Um, there is constant infighting between those two kingdoms. None of the kings of either of those two nations really have been very good kings in a long time. Uh, so you've had some struggles between the uh, the two kingdoms themselves, and because they have these unfaithful kings, they're being just sort of pummeled from all sides by the different kingdoms around them. And by this time, you know, depending on exactly when it's compiled, but this time period of 750 to 650 BC, this is around the time when the northern kingdom is just annihilated by the empire of Assyria. They come in, they conquer that kingdom, they tear down their cities, and they forcibly relocate the entire population to other parts of the empire and settle other colonists into that area. And that leaves the southern kingdom alone, and it becomes a vassal state of Assyria, paying tribute to the Assyrian king, sending their soldiers to fight in his wars. Um, It's not a good time. And so that colors the way that the late source tells all these events. And so the primary focus of the late source is that Samuel was the judge and the true leader of Israel, and that choosing a king was a mistake. And that trips a lot of people up, because as you finish the book of Judges, it ends on this note where it's repeating over and over again the phrase, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there's this image of anarchy and chaos, and it's it's painting this picture of desperation. And it is setting you up to assume that once a king can get control of these people, it will be a good thing. And then you get into 1 Samuel, and kind of the opposite happens. When the, when the people come and demand a king, God's response to them through Samuel is, you don't want a king. A king is going to tax you. A king is going to draft your sons to fight in his army. A king is going to uh, take your daughters to be in his harem. You don't want that. But it's being written with the value of hindsight. That part of the story is being written 
during the worst part of the monarchy, when the kings are corrupt. And so it's emphatic that choosing a king was a mistake, and that part of the story becomes this bit of tragedy, where um, you can see you can see the reasoning of the people. You can see why they would want a king. You can follow along. You understand why they want this, and yet you know it's going to turn out badly. So there is this deep sort of dark sense of tragedy running through that part of the narrative in the late source. Um, another part of the late source that's interesting is it highlights sort of the failures of the priest Eli, of his sons, and of Saul. And it actually indicates, it, it sort of assumes that their failures are punishments for their sins. And even though it's not real high on the monarchy, the late source is very clear that David was favored by God. It's just that he's favored by God despite his being a king. And so you're in this weird space where at the end of Judges, you're kind of longing for a king to come in and instill order and peace. And this, the book of 1 Samuel opens with these texts from the late source. Um, you get the king. You get the king. But there is this undercurrent of, you're going to regret this, running through that. And reading between the lines, and, and here you're getting sort of my own interpretation of, of this. This is not necessarily uh, the gospel truth here, but I, I think this is how I, I read it and how I, I think the author intended it. But to me, the implication is Israel would have fared better if they had just let Samuel continue as the judge of the people. And I think they're kind of implying, and again, just my interpretation, um, that David would have actually been the judge of Israel after Samuel anyway. Had they not demanded a king, David probably would still have been raised up as a leader, but he would have been a judge and not a king. And so this source is coming in with the value of hindsight and saying, well, yes, it's understandable how we got here, but the thing is we would have been better off had we just stuck with the judges and not gotten a monarchy. So the book of Judges immerses you in the chaos and the violence and the anarchy of the pre-kingdom period. But, but Samuel, particularly the late source, is telling the story of the beginning of the monarchy from this very different vantage point. Now in contrast, the early source is written uh, by a single individual. And it's written sometime during the reign of King Solomon. Now, Solomon is is a beloved and effective king. Under his reign, Israel is at peace. They have subdued all of their enemies around them. So their sons aren't going off to fight in wars. You know, even in King David's reign, they're they're almost constantly at war, and under King David there is actually a a very bitter, violent civil war that happens within Israel. So even though David's regarded as a good king and a man after God's own heart, his reign was not a peaceful, stable time. Solomon's reign is peaceful and stable. There's no fighting. There's very few wars. Israel is at peace. It has its greatest territorial extent. Its economy is doing well. It's becoming a very wealthy nation. 
Um, and as we all know, when the economy is doing well, everyone loves the guy in charge. Um, this is this is the best time, in all likelihood, to be living in ancient Israel. It's under the reign of King Solomon. This is when the people as a whole are faithful. The temple has been built in Jerusalem. Solomon builds the temple. Um, this is the peak. This is as good as it gets. So this is when you want to live uh, under ancient Israel. And so you can imagine that someone writing about the beginning of the monarchy and telling the story of Samuel and Saul and David during the reign of King Solomon is going to have a very different perspective than someone writing a couple of hundred years later when everything is falling apart and the world is crashing down around them. And so the early source treats the establishment of the monarchy as a divinely ordained blessing. It's the salvation of the nation. Very different. And so you're going to get almost a sense of whiplash at times as you read through 1 Samuel because some stories in there are from the late source and they are focused on the tragedy of the monarchy and some are from the early source and they are focused on how the monarchy saved the people from anarchy and chaos and what a wonderful thing it is. Um, and it's all due to the different perspectives and the timing of the authors. Which is tricky because it's all been mixed together. Um, fortunately, there is enough of a division. Um, the late source is more highly concentrated in 1 Samuel. The early source is more highly concentrated in 2 Samuel. So that helps a bit, but you're still going to get very different perspectives, right? And so in the early source, Samuel is, is really just a modest prophet. He's not a strong leader. In the early source, Saul is this noble and tragic figure. There's a lot of sympathy for Saul in the early source. And then David is a hero. Uh, now, he's a human hero with very obvious flaws, and the author of the early source never tries to hide the flaws of King David. He never covers that up, um, but he still holds him up as a hero. And so because of these mixed sources and mixed perspectives, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel both can be very confusing. You can read Saul as a very sympathetic figure or as an insecure tyrant. Uh, in fact, in the story of Saul, and, in, and particularly when you get into um, the stories of Saul after David is anointed as king, that's when you really will start to see a lot of intermixing of these two sources. And, and you'll have one story where Saul is very sympathetic and one story where you just hate the guy. Um, and, and you've got the sources really blended up in, in that portion, it seems to me. Um, David, likewise, can be read as a very devoted, faithful servant of God. He can be read as just kind of really devious, conniving politician, um, or both, depending on how you want to look at it. You get all these perspectives jumbled up. So overall, these books are shaped by the beliefs and thoughts of Israel's prophets. And Israel's prophets had a, a deep, deep suspicion of human power and human authority. And you see that thread running all through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel as well when you get to it. 
which contrasts a lot with First and Second Chronicles because those books are shaped by the beliefs and thoughts of Israel's priests. And so it has a very different perspective on these same events. Now, a word on what these books are. They're commonly called history books. I don't think that's a good name for them anymore because that confuses people. These books are not being written as um, a, a book of literal history. They're not like a textbook. They're not even really being written in order to record historical events. That's not the point here. What they are is a reflection by Israel's religious leaders upon their past. This is Israel's prophets reflecting on how their nation came to be, how things got to where they are now, and what things are like, and what God is doing in the midst of all of that. And that's really true of all of the books that seem to be history books in the Bible. They are theological reflections on things that have happened, and they aren't all that concerned with recording the events as they happened in great detail. That doesn't mean the events didn't happen. It means the authors weren't trying to get every detail exactly right, exactly as it happened. They are more interested with, what does this mean? In other words, they are not trying to answer the question of what, so much as the question of why. And when you get into second, first and second chronicles, by the way, that's going to become really clear because you'll find in that book, you'll see back-to-back -back passages that give different interpretations of the same event. It might say uh, the Assyrians invaded because King uh, Hezekiah tried to ally with Egypt. And then in the very next passage, it'll say they invaded because he didn't trust in God to protect him. Right? It, that's not an actual passage in there. But it gives you an example. of It'll give you a political, totally secular reason. And in, in the next passage, it'll give you the theological reason. So Chronicles is a really clear example of how these people are, are taking historical events and investing them with theological meaning. Um, that is the same thing that's happening in Samuel. It's the same thing that happened in Judges and Joshua. Uh, it's just less clear in those books because they don't include the second example. They don't, they don't include the purely political explanation for why things happened. They only talk about the theological thing. Here's what God is doing. So as you read these books, don't concern yourself as much with the, the historical part of it. Focus on what they are saying about what God is doing. First and Second Samuel are, are, in a way, this sort of mixed perspective on things because you've got half of it talking about how great it is that the kings have instilled order and peace, while the other half is acknowledging the tragedy that will result from the monarchy in the long run. And those things can both be true. It's obviously true that... Uh, even beginning with King Saul, who is not the best of the kings, 
there is more peace, there is more prosperity, there is more order and safety for the people of Israel than there was under the judges. And that gets better under David, and it gets even better under Solomon. But then things go downhill. It's a very complex book, and I'll admit that it's difficult to read because you get those mixed perspectives, and, and they're kind of jumbled up in places, and so you'll go from one to another in the span of a couple of sentences. But pay attention as you read to what God is doing. Pay attention to how God is giving them what they want, even though he knows it's not what's best for them. Because I think that's really interesting. God knows what the kings are going to do, but that's what the people want, and he gives it to them. And the question is, why? And then pay attention to just the, the humanness of these figures. People will tell you, archaeologists will tell you, that there's really not much evidence for a lot of these characters. Um, not a whole lot of evidence for David, not a whole lot of evidence for Saul. I don't think that matters. I think they are pretty clearly real people who really lived, who really did the things that are in these stories, even if the details are maybe embellished here and there. These are real people. God is really working in them and through them. And so these stories are very compelling to me. So as you read through them, I don't try not to get too hung up on, on figuring out which of these two perspectives you're getting on the events is the right one. Because I think the truth is, they're both right. I don't think one is right and the other is wrong. I don't think one is a correction of the other. I think they both actually are accurately telling the story. They are both spot on. Saul is a noble and tragic figure. He also has tyrannical tendencies. David is a faithful man after God's own heart. He's also a very shrewd politician and a very cunning warrior. And also notice, by the way, one of the most interesting parts of these books for me is that Saul, Saul is exactly who we would pick to be king. Saul gets described as this, you know, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He's this huge man. He's, he's supposed to be really handsome, right? He's this mighty warrior, right? He is, he is exactly who we would pick. If we were voting on the king of Israel, we'd all pick Saul. David, of course, is this scrawny little dude hanging out with the sheep in the fields. He probably smells like sheep, right? No one's going to pick that guy. And, of course, look at how Saul fares as king versus how David fares as king. And, again, that's intentional here in the story. You're supposed to actually recognize that, you know, here, here the guy we would have picked, the guy who seems like the obvious choice to us to be the king of Israel, turns out to be not that great while well, the guy we would have all overlooked is is this incredible talented leader um, that's going to become really important by the way when you get into the story of David and Goliath because you know here you have this massive man challenging the people of Israel to a fight and and no one will go out and and you're supposed to remember at that point hey Saul is the biggest of all the Israelites right he's described being Head and shoulders tall and everyone. If there is anyone in the Israelite army 
who ought to be going out to fight Goliath. It's King Saul. He's the biggest. He's the strongest. He's this ferocious warrior. Why isn't he going out to fight? And then along comes little bitty David with his sling. And David goes out to fight. And that's an often overlooked part of that story. Of course, that's not relevant to you this week because if you're reading along in our Bible reading plan, you're stopping. This week ends at like chapter 13. Um, so this week you're getting sort of the origin story of Saul. And you're going to, you know, this week's reading stop right before Saul makes his big fatal mistake. Um, so as you go through, just try, try and maybe pick out those different perspectives but also bear in mind that you're getting this blended narrative. It's, it's all been blended together precisely because this is a complex story. The history is complex, and both of these perspectives are true. That's all for today, folks. Um, I want to remind you, send in your Bible questions, whether it's about what we've read already or whether we're going to read it next week. It can be even stuff we read back in January. It can be stuff we haven't read. But uh, I, I am here to try and help you work through these as much as I can. So send in your questions to my email at forest.divini at asburycc.com or .org. My apologies. So forest.divini at asburycc.org. Uh, send those questions in and we will do our best to answer them as we go. So in the meantime, folks, God bless you all. Have a good week. Bye.